Hey there, my name is Nathan Agin. This is The Working Actor's Journey, bringing you in-depth conversations with actors that have been working professionally for decades. Wanted to let you guys know that now available is the new guide, 12 Top Acting Tips from Season 1. I've put this together from the over 19 hours of content from Season 1, and it contains great quotes and ideas from all the guests about pursuing an acting career. You can grab your free copy at workingactorsjourney.com slash sign up. So go get that right now. Check out these fantastic acting tips at workingactorsjourney.com slash sign up. We're back with another text work session this week with Nikki Dukas from episode number six. You can also listen to the previous sessions covering Tom Stoppard, Noel Coward, and Shakespeare. And if you enjoy the text work, I highly encourage you to check out the full episode with the guest as they are packed with just so much candor, honesty, wisdom, and ideas on life as a working actor. They are fantastic conversations. Today, Nikki will be talking about a speech from Mike Bartlett's play, King Charles III, which, as you might be able to guess, imagines what will happen when the current Prince Charles of England ascends to the throne. This speech is written in blank verse, and so you'll hear that Nikki brings the same kinds of tools that she would to any verse text, classical or contemporary. There are some really wonderful insights she brings to the language of this piece and the questions that you need to be asking yourself when you approach any character or role. So here we go with Nikki. Please enjoy the text work. This actually kind of uh, leads me into. I, I want to. I want to talk about the the piece of text you wanted to work on mm-hmm. today. It's it's still considered a new play, right? Yeah, I think it was written a few years ago. Okay, so it's it's Charles the Third, and who who's the writer? It's King Charles the Third, and King it's, Charles the Third. Yeah, it's by Mike Bartlett. Okay, um, who's the guy that wrote that play, Cock? Oh, okay. Um, I, yeah. I've, I've heard of the play. Um, yeah, he's really good. So. I, I have the text in front of me, and for for people listening, I'll I'll put a excerpt you know online so you can actually right. follow along along. But um, what are you? Uh, what what did you want to uh, share with us in terms of uh, what you're doing in the play? And all? well, I'm playing uh, I'm playing small parts in this play. I'm not doing anything exciting, although the play is really exciting. Um, and this is one of the small parts I'm playing, and. Um, it's written, the play is written in iambic pentameter for the most part. And okay. it's, it's, it's written in the structure of a Shakespearean, really tragedy, even though it's basically a comedy. And there's a ghost, there's a, you know, there are references to Shakespeare. It, it's very subtly done. And, and it's, but it's about the current King Charles and Camilla and Kate and William and all of those people are in this play. Right. And, yeah. Uh, Just to state the obvious for people listening, it's when Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth II, you know, passes on. Right. And what Charles happens when become, Charles? Yeah. yeah. What happens when Charles takes over as king? So in this scene, I'm playing uh, a TV producer. I chose it because of the very little time I had to think about this, and because I thought, well, you know what, this scene stands on its own. It's it's if I was going to talk to you about, you know, for example, last year I played Hedda Gabler. If I was going to talk to you about that. 
I just don't know how to contain that. So mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. this is much easier because this, this whole character appears for two, two or three pages of the play and then you never see her again. And so I thought it would be an easy way to talk about it. And you're currently in rehearsals for this. Uh, right. So, so you're actively working on it right now, which right. is, uh, which exactly. is pretty cool. I'm really glad you could bring this in. Yeah. We're in the second. I haven't even, we haven't gotten, even gotten this scene up on us feet yet. Oh, okay. Cool. We've only done table work for this so far. So for people to visualize, it, it, it looks like a Shakespeare play in that it's written in blank verse. Um, and so the, the lines do not go all the way from margin to margin. It's, it's written, if you opened it up and looked at it from afar, it would look like a Shakespeare play written in blank verse. That's right, except for a couple of scenes in prose. Yep. Okay, okay. So, um, so for the TV producer, and this is someone... I assume is producing some kind of segment for Charles and, and Charles is going to, yeah, Charles is going to make a speech and the, the producer is just coming in and setting, setting the stage for that. So you're, you're asking me, so how do I, how did I approach this? How did I work on it? Yeah. So what, like what questions you've asked yourself or how you've looked at this, whether it's from a technical standpoint or an imagination standpoint mm-hmm. or character standpoint, you know, just those kinds of uh, well, platforms. Yeah. The first thing I want to say before I even read it is, um, when I start rehearsal, if I can, and that's most of the time, um, I arrive off book for the first day of rehearsal because I can't, A, I cannot stand being on stage with a script in my hand. I can't stand not being able to look at someone. And everybody knows that even when the first time you get up, uh, you're still struggling for the lines. The minute you look into somebody else's eyes, you get very disoriented. So even if you are off book, you're confused. So I want to get that part of rehearsal over with as soon as possible so that I can get to the good part of rehearsal. But I also feel like I never, I cannot, for someone who's as big a reader as I am, I don't really understand the text until I memorize it. Until I, until I've committed those words to memory, it's all, it's all this theory. And, um, so that's, that's for me why I have to, to, to memorize it. And I would say that before I, you know, before I start memorizing, I, I read the text, I read the play, I try to read the play two or three times at least, especially if it's a new play before I start memorizing. And then usually, you know, because time is an element, you're usually racing the clock for this. Um, I just every day sit down for an hour and I start memorizing just by rote, but I can't, I don't move on until I, in other words, that is helping me to understand it. Like that's how I start learning what the play is about by memorizing it. Hmm. Um, but I can't memorize it until I understand it. So, so, sure. for, so, so, um, so it takes me a while. Like I don't memorize quickly. Um, cause it, until it makes sense to me, I can't keep it in my head. So, so if you look at this text, you'll see that it's not, uh, it's like Shakespeare. It's easier to understand than Shakespeare, but it's not immediately understandable. So, well, you know what, Nathan? Do you have it in front of you? Yes. You read it. All right. Because I'll tell you why later. Go ahead. Okay, good. All right. Now, do you want me to think about how to read it or just read it? I want you to read it for sense. Okay. Just to make sense of it. This may seem strange, but sometimes I wake up from nightmares where I have been on TV and something's happened. Just by chance, perhaps, a light is blown or chair collapsed, but I am shocked and jumping look ridiculous. 
And then that clip goes viral, and from then, forevermore, I am the girl who jumped. It is the matter of my life, and when I die, it will be writ. It will be what is writ. Not all I did and wanted and achieved, but that. A captured idiocy stuck on repeat. Your Majesty, welcome. Here's the microphone into which you'll speak. The auto cue is there. Nice job, Nathan. You made a really good <laughs> sense of that. You did. Well, uh, I, I, I've had good teachers. You- <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so that was pretty. That was clear. So what jumped out for me was that two, the two things that I discovered that I didn't discover the first time I read them through, just like you did, is that she's responding to something he just said. He's just like we always are, even if we start the scene. Something just happened before the scenes happened. And what he's just said to her is she's talking to the guy who is the... um he does publicity, you know, he, he handles press for the king. And sure, he says, sure, sure. he says to her, you know, would you like to be one of them? And she says, you mean a king? And he says, I mean the woman who's asked to stand in front of the camera and right. instead of what, do what we do, which is hide behind it. And so I say, you know, this may seem strange, but sometimes I wake up from nightmares where I have been on TV, not mm. where I've been on TV but where I have been on TV. And that seems so subtle, but it's the whole point of the monologue. And it's so easy to miss that. And really, just because it's the way my mind works, this is where I start with what exactly are you trying to say? Not generally, but what are the major ideas that you're trying to impart? And like any big classical monologue in Shakespeare, she starts with her thesis statement, which is, this may seem strange, but sometimes I wake up from nightmares where I have been on TV, and then here's what happens. And she never really gets to finish her thought because he interrupts it. But And so then, where something's happened just by chance, perhaps a light's blown, a chair collapsed, but I am shocked. So there's the first event, right? So something's happened. So a nightmare, I have this nightmare. But then the event happens. I'm shocked and jumping look ridiculous. And then that clip goes viral. And then that's the next event. Mm. See, this is a speech where it just seems like the face of it, like she's just, if you do it badly, you're just telling a story. But really, you know, as, as always, you want to play an action. And she's having this conversation with this guy. She's trying to make the point, And the point is... I do think about those things, but ultimately, what is the point? Is the point, does it matter that I have this? I mean, this is what we don't get to know because the king walks in on her and interrupts her. She tells this terrible nightmare where I have been on TV, it's shot, it is. And then that clip, so here's the other thing I noticed, because that's the idea I started with. There were two things I noticed that you didn't get that I didn't get the first name either. And then that clip goes viral. And from then forevermore, I am the girl who jumped. Not it is the matter of my life, but it is the matter of my life. That thing, that thing that happened to me. And I think if we don't say it is the matter of my life, or it is the matter of my life, and I'm sorry, it is the matter of my life, and when I die, it will be what is writ. Not it will be what is writ. That's what they're going to write about. They're going to write about that thing. That's what we need to hear. That thing, that stupid thing I did. Because the point of the speech, obviously, is that you can do one inconsequential thing. You can sneeze, which has nothing to do with anything. And that will become the story of your life. That's what the media has done to us. 
you know? Um, it's turned us into sound bites, you know? Right. Well, I mean, one of the first things I want, I want to comment on is that I love how you're talking about this because it's so easy whether you're doing, you know, just a monologue from a play for an audition or, or something, if you just want to learn it, or even if you're doing a monologue in a play, it's very easy to kind of compartmentalize that monologue and almost separate it from the play. Uh, you know, you're just like, oh, this is my, this is my speech and, you know, act three, scene two, and I got to learn this. But, you know, it's, it's just as important to really contextualize that piece because it's not lifted out of the play. It's everything. And in fact, when we were at the table, the first question I asked was, I don't know why this scene is in the play. And it's really, I think what you need to ask yourself in every scene you have in the play, why this scene? Why this scene now? What is the playwright trying to tell with this scene? It can't just be, I need to tell a story here. Something, you know, and, and then around the table, we had this really good discussion and a lot of people said a lot of really interesting things and a lot of it made sense. And I'm still not sure, you know, we haven't, like I said, we haven't been on our feet with this scene yet. And it's, it is interesting to me that it's an interrupted, I mean, you get that the point is one small thing can change somebody's life. One small thing can define who you are. And it's interesting that the, you know, the whole, the whole play is about, is Charles going to, Charles wants to do this thing that nobody else wants him to do. And the media is, has a, has a big part in that. This is the only time you get a chance to see it sort of from the other point of view with this TV producer. And you see that, boy, she has thought of it from that. But what are we to make of that? The play never really tells you. It just lets you decide. Do you apply, because it is written in iambic pentameter, do you apply the same kind of Shakespeare training mm-hmm. about the beats and, and alliteration? Mm-hmm. And, and do, yep. do you you look at it the exact same way as if it were I do. You know, measure for measure or whatever? I do. Okay. It's going to, I think that there will some people, there might be some people who don't even know it's in iambic pentameter. Um, of course. I think when we, you do it yeah. right, you won't hear that particularly because I'm saying things like, here's the microphone into which you'll speak. But, um, I do. And, and, and in fact, we all are, uh, we're all right. looking at it that way. And there's a couple of, um, you know, added syllables, but anyway, then, so, so I, I really do. I think about, okay, so what exactly, literally what am I, what are the points I'm trying to make? Just literally, what does the language mean? We're, right. We get very sloppy about that. And it can happen in the most modern play. You don't even understand intellectually what you're, what you're trying to say. And what am I trying to, and then what am I trying to do with that language is the next crucial question. Why do I bother to have this big long speech? Why do I need to tell this guy this speech? And there are so many questions that I still haven't answered about this, which is how comfortable am I with this guy, James? You know, we talked a little bit about this at the table. You know, we're assuming I'm the go-to person that I generally do these things from the palace, but it's possible I'm not because this is an event that's never happened before. It's not the traditional annual King speech or anything like that. And it's sort of hastily put together. Now, do you feel like directors really push you to answer these questions or this is like, this is on you. Like you, you have to push yourself to answer these questions. Do you feel like directors have time to kind of go into this and really ask this and make sure you're discovering this? Or is this just, this is your job as the actor. You have to push yourself to do it. Both, both. I mean, I, okay. I don't know why you do it unless you're not asking. For me, the, that's the fun of it. And, yeah. and, and, and that when I was talking earlier about, I'm not doing my job. If I, if I'm not doing this, I'm not doing my job. And 
some directors who are very interested in this and some directors who are not at all interested in this stuff. And that depends, but it doesn't matter because we're doing it. And, um, the actors are doing it always, all the time. And, and they'll never know everything you're thinking, nor should they. They they have to think about other things. You have to think about every single solitary moment. You can never have a line for my money that's just information. You're never there. I don't care if that's the playwright's intent or not. You are never, ever there just to say, and then she said this. There's always a point of view. There's always a need. There's always a, even if the line goes by in a blink, it's about something. Something's happening. Because, of course, that's how we are every day. Like, nobody ever says anything right. just for informational purposes. That's <laughs> there's right. always some. There's always some motive, uh, as benign as it might be. That's right. Even if it's somebody behind an information desk giving you information, they are either getting you out the door as quickly as they can, or they are engaging you or flirting with you or ignoring you. They're doing something, you know, discouraging you. They're doing something. Hey guys, Nathan here one more time. Hope you enjoyed this excerpt. If you're not already subscribed, quick reminder to do so so that you don't miss anything ahead. And if you can take a minute to rate and review this on Google Podcasts or iTunes, that will help others find and learn more about this show. I appreciate all comments and thank you so much for doing that. Be sure to visit workingactorsjourney.com for show notes and more. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Nathan Agan, and thanks for listening.